Luca Nation. So as you guys know, our channel in the last maybe three, six months has become kind of a culmination of a variety of different shows under one umbrella, right? So we have Cajun Cardboard, who does the PWCC weekly recaps, the PWCC premiere rate recaps. We do the NBA show. We have Black Shaded Wolf doing- Who's in Hawaii right now at a show? Can't wait to recap Wolf on that. Yeah. Hard work. She not, I mean, hard I mean, work. As, as hard as it is to work in Hawaii, yeah. But yeah, <laughs> it seems glamorous. Might as well go, right? So we got the dealer show, which is kind of, you know, she's getting a pulse on. She'll probably have, you know, a lot of insights coming back from Hawaii and Dallas that, you know, she'll share with the cage uh, on the Black Shaded Wolf on Cage show. We've brought back what is easily the most popular show, the weekly Coffee with Cage. You get your questions answered and we do three questions every week. So. I have three great questions for from you guys that will feature on the show. But before I do, Cage, any thoughts? You know, it's funny. As we do this show on a daily basis, you never know what's going to stimulate conversation, what matters to the hobby at the right time, right? It's not just topics. It's timing. And what is an interesting topic of conversation is fringe collecting, fringe investing. And after our episode maybe one or two days ago, we were talking about wrestling cards, comparing them to soccer cards, and sort of – you know, is it a mature market? Is it a new market? Do, do people collect wrestling? Do they collect soccer? Obviously, we talk in hyperboles on the show and nothing's absolute. It's never a one size fits all. But anything you want to say before we jump? Like when I say questions. no one collects soccer cards, clearly, I'm sure we can find one person who makes my statement factually incorrect. That is the hyperbole of it. Um, but no, I mean, what I will say is this. And if you're listening to this, you get a thank you from me. Because there is a, a huge difference. We've talked about this so many times. We talk about it when we, when we say PSA 8s are not all alike, PSA 9s are not all alike. The title, the headline, doesn't tell the story that's in the full article. You know, when you're looking at comps, well, that Gretzky sold for this much, and this Gretzky sold for that much. Okay, well, why was the discrepancy? Well, got to look past the headline. You got to look for the eye appeal. Got to look for, you know, who sold it and when and, you know, how nice it was and what the edges look like because not all of them are the same. Sometimes in the hobby, you got to get past the headline. You got to get into the actual story to find out what's really going on. And anybody who's two minutes and 35 seconds into this episode, you're people who listen to the story. You folks who are on YouTube putting comments in there and, and listening to the whole thing, you get all of the color around the takes. And you get all of the details. You get the whole story, right? And it, it's, it's very rare that I get comments from somebody um, who listens to a whole episode that are akin to the ones that I get where I know you just listen to the clip, where our team clips the thing they think is most clippable. And usually it's me saying some very all or nothing thing. <laughs> which is fine. I stand by everything I say on the show, but there's no color provided. You get the headline and not the ability to listen to the episode. So I guess for a clippable thing here, my ask for people would be, if you're listening to a clip, please listen to the episode. Come on in and see the color around what that clip is about. Because I don't just say sell your hurts. I say why from a risk management standpoint. The upside doesn't justify the potential downside. And then you can go back two and a half months later and see how right I was. Right? And something but, our, our, our content team is doing now, guys, is on the clips, you'll be able to see which episode it's from. So 892, So 892, go ahead and get in there. Bit. So, I mean, but here's the fun. 
people who have been listening to our episodes for hundreds of episodes now know that when the going was good and everything was going up, I'm talking about 2021. I was saying, be careful in what we like to call the fringe sports, right? The fringe areas, the soccers, the wrestlings, the tennises, because when people, when the F1, because when the market goes a little south, those are not traditional collected areas. They were the ones that ran for the first time. They don't have a track record. They don't have a history. People were more likely jumping in those as speculators rather than collectors, and that those could correct possibly worse than the other ones. And you add in an additional layer of that, in addition to price correction, you also have price discovery. And we've, we have some fans of the show who did a great job talking about price discovery. There's a story out there, Kuma Bailey, you know, about all the things that are in there at PSA and the whole nine yards. The point that I'm making on there, it's another one of those great ones. Learn from me. Learn from mistakes that I made because I was doing great in the hobby. I sold my Pele. I regretted it. I didn't want to jump back in and buy the same Pele for double the price that I sold it for like a fool. So I saw another one. I'm like, wow, this one's really cool. And I'm buying this even less than the one that I sold. It's also 1958. It's a great example. I, I love this card. It's really cool looking. And I can buy it for $10,000 instead of twenty five dollars for the other one. They're both 58. This one's even rarer. And guess what? The, the $10,000 that I'm spending, it's the highest grade. There are none higher. Boom. How many of these could come out of the woodwork? It's a 65-year-old card. Come on now. Let's go. That's mine. Buy it. Boom. The very next month, same auction house has one that's a great hire. And there have been several subsequent sales with all higher grades. You now own one, a grade higher than what I paid, and you paid half of what I paid for mine. So I know that there's a loss there for me when I sell it. Well, it's a great buy. But what Cage is saying with his... I mean, his metaphor is this grandiose New York Staten Island style is when these markets, I mean, Marvel is a good one for me. That, that Marvel's another great one. What happens is you get, when people realize that you can profit and profit significantly off X card, and it's not a card that's been through a lot of cycles, supply hits the market. A lot mm-hmm. more supply hits the market. And that that has an anchor effect on price it's, it's pretty simple from just an economic it might be a short-term anchor oh yeah it could go to turn around who knows how many there are i mean there's a difference between 1990 marvel cards and the production of those and the 1958 random aqua albums and gazetta Correct. pages and quigols and alifa balogés and all these things that are out there that who the heck knows how many of them are going to be there but i mean marvel's a great example do you remember when Marvel started hitting, everyone was talking about it. Do you remember that a Black Panther PSA 10 sold for $2,700 on eBay? I mean, it's got to be one-tenth of that now. It's got to be down 90% from that because they just continue to show up. The price discovery comes as the population continues to hit. And it's just, you know, my preaching is a preaching of caution on that. You know, so anyway, that was what we were talking about with price discovery. We were talking about comparison between wrestling cards and the whole deal. The soccer community came out today, mostly I think because I did say people aren't collecting uh, the Joker. Less people collect Joker than collect soccer, and no one collects soccer. Like I double down on my on my you know hyperbole of no one collects soccer, and they are. Why do you? Why are you trying to kill soccer? And I'm like, I'm like <laughs> I like soccer. I actually 
I, 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 I'm watching it now. The World Cup was a cool thing. My son and I watched a lot of soccer and we're still watching. We filled out most of the sticker book. That's hard to fill that sticker book set. And guys, keep in mind, and I, I said this, we posted a clip. I, I didn't love the clip because it wasn't the kind of a fully thought out statement. That's but the clip. <laughs> opinions aren't what moves markets. At the end of the day, money moves markets. So like two guys, one in a tiger hat, one in a bleaker trading hat, giving opinions aren't going to crush soccer. <laughs> it just isn't. Well, so I, where I'm coming from is not trying to crush anything. It's just I've, I've seen developing markets. I've seen... The hobby. I know I've been at shows in five different decades now. Am I right? Yeah. Five different decades of card shows. And it wasn't until the fifth decade that I ever heard anybody ask for a soccer card. So we'll start with our first question. If you guys want your question answered next week, just drop it in the comments. I'll feature it. So question from one of our audience members. And uh, are card shows today designed more for collectors or flippers? And I believe that they're asking specifically of the card shows that have kind of popped up in the next year or so, in the last year or so. Right. Well, so I we'll mean, leave Chantilly and Philly aside because those are, we've talked about those are collector shows. Those are shows that have been around for, you know, 10, 15, 20 years. Uh, I believe that they're talking about more shows that are popping up in the last year. I think it depends on the show. And a lot of times it depends on the geography. I will tell you that shows on the East Coast have much more of a vintage uh, swing to them, much more, you know, uh, vintage at the tables. And when you have a lot more vintage, usually that's more of a collector base. There's a lot more of these autograph shows out here, which also skews towards collectors, a lot of autograph guests. Um, you know, there are shows that have both. Um, I would say, yes, the newer shows that popped up, some of them are put on by people who are flippers. So they're geared towards flipping. You know what I mean? So, so, you know, yeah, I would say geography and when the show came out is going to be a, a good uh, barometer as to whether or not you're going to have more collectors and more flippers. But a good show is going to cater to both. You know what I mean? A good show is going to cater to both because dealers, you know, they want to sell the collectors because the collector is going to pay probably top dollar because they're not looking to you know, buy it at 80% comps to sell it at 90 or buy it at 75% comps. And so, so dealers want those collectors. And also, you know, you, we, I mean, we do a great job of this on a recent episode of Uncaged, you know, Black Sheet Wolf Uncaged, where you know, she talked about selling to like repackers. And at certain shows, those guys, the repackers show up and they, you know, they buy in volume at a lower price, but you're able to move inventory. Some shows cater to that. Some shows have more flippers who are looking to, you know, wheel and deal at the show. Um, Kate, I don't I, know if yeah. you saw this. I actually saw someone go live. I'm not going to blow up their spot on Instagram, but maybe you guys know. I actually saw someone, and they set up at the Dallas show as well. They have a roulette table. Have you seen this? Yeah, roulette I saw table. The, I saw, with, I, with the first thing that came to my brain with it was, oh, my God, that's not a good look for the hobby because – we basically are unregulated gambling to begin with, and the more we can steer away from breaking being gambling and steer away from regulation, the better. Putting a roulette wheel right there as part of your breaking setup or as part of your table is probably, you know, going to put that gambling right in the mind of people and you know steer it more towards gambling, which I'm sure most people don't want. 
Um, I'm all for like I think legalized gambling is the best thing. Like I don't know if you guys have ever heard about the story of the five dimes owner Tony and all the stuff that happened with him and he got kidnapped. So I think legalized gambling is. is the Did you kidnap thing. him? No. So he got actually got kidnapped by his bodyguards. Wow. And he, yeah, and they uh, extorted him for crypto. But while he was, they were trying to get the ransom. They they put duct tape over his mouth and he had asthma and he actually asphyxiated and died. Oh, what this a was horrible the owner story. of five dimes. But th this was offshore books. This is what the industry was like when gambling was illegal in the US. Mm -hmm. It was offshore books out of Costa Rica and stuff. So I was, I'm all for it. But when I saw it at the Dallas show and someone set up in a lobby with like a roulette wheel, I'm like, this is just a recipe for disaster. I mean, I'm sure it was, I'm sure it was a lot of fun. But yeah, I mean, it's basically, I mean, it's, it's complete and total gambling. But a lot of the hobby is gambling. You know, so but let me also take a step back and say, um, at Bleaker, I met a guy named Moses Moses Jewelers, right? He's on there. You know, I think it's Moses Jewelers. He's a Diamond District guy, right? Nice guy was there. You know, doing cards. I think I saw him trade a Rolex for cards <laughs> at one of the trade nights. Is Rolex and, his last name, or is it like no? Moses I think that's just he's in the Moses. He's in the jewelry business. Moses Jewels, right? So you know, like Eddie Investacard. I don't Eddie's follow. His last name is an Investacard, right? Exactly. It's Carfi. Exactly. Yeah. So um, Chris Hodge. It's not Chris Hodge. Chris Hodge. Chris Haji Sheik. Ali yes. Haji Sheik. He was a kicker for the Giants. So so you could, if you want really want to find him, you could find him in my. I follow him, um, and he follows me, so you can kind of like find it that way if you want. But why I follow him is because I love seeing the comparisons between different alternate asset classes. Right, so I have some watch guys that I follow. I, I follow some bourbon stuff. I follow some wine stuff. Um, you know, I follow things that have, have had also a similar come up during the same time period that we have seen the run in in cards. Just because I like to you know, real estate stuff. You see me post some stories about real estate in different booming markets and compare that to the pricing charts and the whole deal. It's cool backdrop, you know, for the boom and bust cycles that we have. But it's funny, I mentioned him because this week he posted a story where a woman came into the, um, you know, to the to his booth in the Diamond District. And it's just, you know, you can see from the stories, it's just guys set up all over the place with, you know, jewelry all over. And if you've ever been to, I think it's West 47th? Uh, yeah. So anyway, it's the, the Diamond District in New York. The woman comes with a pair of earrings, diamond studs. And he, on his, on his Instagram page, he, he films the negotiation. And this is what she wants. No, I can't give you more than this. Oh, I'm giving you a great price. No, come on. You can do better. No, come on. Buddy. Only because I love you. And they settle on a price. Great. <laughs> you know, deal. Everything's yes. great. Spit you know, finalized. And before the video ends, the woman walks away. The guy's got his diamond studs at like 3800 bucks, And he yells across the room to his friend, who I've also seen on videos. Make the, hey, I got a steal for you. Come on over. I got these diamond earrings. I'm going to sell them to you. And like to be continued. So he is going to buy these from this woman who walked in and sell it to another guy, probably make a couple hundred bucks for walking, you know, 20 feet over. And, you know, it'll be uh, five minutes and it'll make a little bit of money. It's not just card flipping. Like you can, this is, this business is done in other type of assets as well. I mean, not so easy with houses, <laughs> but I, I thought that was, it was really telling to me because I'm like, all right, you know, this happens. You know, I mean, you know, it's deal flow. Dealers have what's funny about he has to sit flippers, out there all day too. So, so let's think about flippers, right? And and here's a it's going to be too long for a clip, but here's a clip for you. Flippers get a bad rep, but dealers don't. 
Dealers are flippers. They're just usually a little slower at it and they hide behind the name dealer. What is a dealer doing? They're setting up at the show hoping for deal flow to sell their cards. They're hoping somebody comes in and offers them a card because they have a table that they paid for and they're going to offer that person probably less than comps for that card so that they can take it, put it on their table and hopefully sell it to the next person who walks by. It is the very definition of flipping. But we call them dealers. So let's not kill flippers. I think the big difference is uh, flippers, the perception of flippers is they'll take anything, they'll buy anything, they'll sell anything and they don't care about the end consumer. Whereas dealers try to take in the cards and they know their clientele and they try to find a forever home with maybe the card. Maybe that's do a you, perception. I'm not saying that's do you think that every dealer who sets up at a table Hardly. is curating a collection for their, no. you know, the, there are for ones that buyers. do it 100%. I mean, I talked to, to Black Shade Wolf about this on our show. Like certain <laughs> shows, she has people come and fly out and meet her at the show and she brings specific items because then you know who they collect. Those are going to be successful dealers who make it through ups and downs 100%. But I mean, to answer the question in a long way around, I think they're designed for both. Some skew one way, some skew the other. I think shows that have been around a long time probably have more of a collector base. But even those, let's just let's be as honest as we can, right? Any of those old shows that add a trade night, that's geared towards the more flipping mentality. It's more geared towards the, you know, get in and out of the cards. And I mean, I go to that East Coast National at, at Hostra. That's a collector's show with a lot of autographs and a lot of vintage and a lot of like old heads like myself there. But when they did a trade night, guess what? They brought in a lot of younger kids to it who stayed around for the trade night and they were moving cards and making trades and making deals. So, I mean, if you're a card show, you really got to make sure you focus on both. both. If you could make a time capsule for the 2022 hobby, what memories and products do you put into the time capsule? Wow. So I'm putting the SGC 9.5 mantle in the 2022 hobby capsule. It's going to cost me a lot of money to get it in there. Maybe I'll just take a picture of it and put it in but because I don't really have that kind of money. But if I could, I'd put it in there. You didn't give okay. me any parameters around what I was able to do and how much I was able to spend on this. But that was, that was one hobby story for the year. Um, memory, so that's, a, a, I guess, a product or whatever it is. Uh, Aaron Judge's chase for the home run record and then the subsequent sale of the ball would have to go in there from a hobby perspective. What would be more the, valuable? Would it be the ticket signed by Aaron Judge or the ball? The ball, but a ticket signed by Aaron Judge is pretty awesome. Um, that's pretty sweet. So I'd love to buy one of those. That would be pretty cool. Of the um, sixty-second home run, not just like yeah, a random like going to that saying. stadium signed by him. It'd be cool if you you had like a uh, a way of showing when he signed it. Like imagine you got to sign that game or that week or like oh you know that would be pretty cool. Also, um, it just adds to the level of like you can go out, buy a ticket now and get him to sign it five years later. Um, right. But if you but if you had it signed like you know contemporaneous, that'd be pretty cool. Also. Um, contemporaneous. The the it means at the same time, you know, contemporaneous with, right? Um, so so you learned a word, man. Congratulations. We did lots of this value added, not anus. Contemporaneous. Contemporaneous. I would have um, a video of Ken Golden and Drake opening up a 1986 Fleer box and searching for the 80, the triple logo man, and then the backyard guys pulling it. And then driving away in their uh, Lamborghini, like that—that that would be like a capsule. I can make that time. video in two seconds. Like that's oh, a, video a video clip. Video clip. Gotcha. I, I can make that video. I'm. I'm I the thought pro. Gold, Ken Golden, Drake, and the backyard guys are in the time capsule. No, no, that's a, that'd be a weird time capsule. Plus, I don't want to lose Drake. 
Drake's a talent, man. That champagne poppy. He's gonna he's gonna save the whole hobby, right? So you know he no. met up with uh, Miss Croatia, that that chick that was at the World Cup. No. Who cares? Stupid. I don't. I didn't know that. But now Twitter, I do. Twitter, Twitter, Twitter. I add significant value, like words, like contemporaneous, and you have who Drake is meeting up with at uh, at the World Cup. All valuable. I mean, all valuable from different like different social strata. Um, so that so from a hobby perspective, those are. I think that that would be my answer. Products. I can't think of a product that was 2022 specific that I was like, wow, we got to chase that. I guess flawless for 2022 basketball with the triple logo man that they came out with was probably a winning product for the year and for the hobby because it just generated so much of a chase. You know, I'm pretty sure it was a 2021 product that came out in 2022. So that's kind of cheating. I don't think 2022 flawless is even out yet for the 2022 class. The Kate Cunningham class. I don't think it's going to, that might come out in 2025. Um, that's going to be some memories. I probably put some redemptions in there that aren't fulfilled. Just so <laughs> so no one can ever get them? Mine there. Yeah, you know, like unfulfilled. But no one's ever going to get them anyway. And that's kind of the memory. Cigar uh, night's not going to make your, me- your memory? Um, we had a great time at Cigar Night. I'd put a cigar in for memory, but it's a hobby, right? The 2022 hobby? Yes. I think. The national was an amazing time. I think it was a great national, and our cigar night was the event of it. I mean, if I'm, you know, if I'm allowed, walking around with Lefko, you, that was and hilarious. Meme wearing a Probstein shirt. Yeah, and then taking a picture of it with Probstein, which yeah. was fantastic. The national man, lots of fun. I mean, even though it was in Atlantic City, and that was pretty shitty. VIP parking by Andrew, you, right your, near the... your parking permit. I would put yeah, the one you didn't have. Your invisible parking permit. I would put that in there also. Um, uh, what is it? Uh, oh, I don't want to say it wrong. It's Collector's House. It's like H A U S. You can look it up for me. I want to give him a shout out. Maybe I'll put it in a story. My pickup of the year. My favorite pickup of 2022 is my Goonies auto, my Chunk auto that I picked up at, at Minfa. I saw them post Mint Collective that they're going to be at it again. And I just picked up another card from them. They messaged me and said, hey, I don't know if you remember us, but you bought the Chunk, the Goonies auto off of us. And I'm like, what else you got? They, they just sold me another Goonies auto. So I'll post That's that. Your, is that your also. top three? I mean, it was a kid in the 80s. It was it was like Stranger Things before Stranger Things. It was like it was like the coming of age. It was that and maybe Stand by Me for non baseball movies. It's a movie. It is a song. Stand by me. Yes, Benny King. So, but so this it, is a good one for you. How do Beanie Babies compare to collecting cardboard and any NFT and NFTs? Any similarities? Yes, very much so. Um, I'm gonna take a sip of soda, and. I want you to flex your best muscle, not the one you're thinking of right now, the one that's in your brain. Because sometimes people, it, I know it's called the cage. Tell people about tulips for a second. Okay. Just a 30 second kind of like preview <laughs> of tulips. The okay? tulip craze? I haven't read up on the tulip craze in years. Give them 30 second high level this way our folks can understand it. Because you what? taught me about it. The tulip craze? Mm-hmm. Uh, tulip mania, you love this. I do. It just shows. It just shows human nature. It was. It was the tulip mania. What was interesting about it? It was the, sort of like the first kind of pump and dump, but it was the first pump and dump that actually had impact on like how the Dutch government was. Like the Dutch government actually had to step in and save it. 
It was the yep. first pump and dump. It was it's that simple, and it just shows human nature and how much FOMO and chasing and the fear of missing out is inherent to human beings. I, I would say that's the summary. So beanie babies are a great microcosm that I should use more often because people get mad at me when you use Top Shot. But beanie babies are are another good example of something that became collectible almost out of nowhere with no track record and went through a very fast cycle. And what's, what you can learn about NFTs from Beanie Babies and cardboard from Beanie Babies is there was a time when these things were not collected. Okay, so let's go back to pre-war or vintage cards, post-war. Let's go back to the 52 top set. Kids who had those cards were not putting them away as soon as they got them. They were not in penny sleeves. They were not hermetically sealed. They were not being collected for their future value. Sure, people made sets of things, but not because they were hoping to pass them on for generational wealth one day. Most were not making sets. Most were flipping them to collect for their own, you know, oh, I like that guy. Oh, we'll flip it. People were putting them in the spokes of their bicycles. They were not protect. They were holding them in rubber bands. You know what I mean? They weren't being collected for a value down the road. All right. Same thing can be said for some NFTs, maybe beanie babies, same thing. So beanie babies before the beanie baby craze, they were around for years, years, different generations of them with different tags, different labels. They had first, second, third generation, all kinds of stuff. I could probably name a handful of the first 13 Beanie Babies that were out there, like Humphrey the Camel and Peanut the Elephant. Man, my brain is fired. Jeopardy better call me one day, right? But so there are there were these, these initial beanies that people bought. They were available, five bucks. Oh, they're cute. They're little stuffed animals. They purchased them. They gained a little popularity in the second and third series of these things. And people started buying them. And a craze started on these things. But like everything else, what first wound up happening was there was a chase for the modern stuff. And, and demand for these items outgrew the supply. All right? More demand than supply. So what happens then? The existing supply goes up in price because there's not enough supply made yet. So the older ones started selling for more stores started marking up the ones that they had so inky the octopus which was a fourth generation octopus all of a sudden instead of buying it for six dollars or 6.99 at the hallmark store or noodle kadoodle it was marked up at that store for 20 bucks sort of like blasters sort of like you couldn't get the retail products anymore and people would then go back and look for the ones that were rare and all of a sudden, a Humphrey the Camel and a Peanut the Elephant were thousands of dollars because they just didn't make them in high, you know, in, in, a, in a huge demand. And people were throwing them out. They were not being bought for collectability. They were, hey, give it to your girlfriend or boyfriend. A kid I went to college with had a Seymour the Seal that his girlfriend gave him. Took the tag off of it. You know, the tags had like it. little quotes on it too, right? Like something you like wish. Uh, yeah. So it had the name. It had a birth date. It had a generation. And... I'm telling you why the cards are pretty crazy. I don't want to get too much into beanies. I've already gone too far. Like, I, can, I still have some. So I have some in my basement still. 
they made protectors for the tag, like a top loader that you clipped it in and the tag went in and you held this way. The tag was in mint condition and you didn't have a, a tag. And then they had cases for the Beanie Baby. I would sell Slab these in, in a case with a protective sliding piece for the for the, the tag to make sure the tag some of the tags were off centered or off cut. They didn't sell for as much. It was it was pretty crazy what happened. But but like everything My else, dad sneezed. Pravda. So he knows I'm telling the truth. So if here, PSA was around, they would have probably been grading these. I'm and I'm surprised no one has started grading them, right? Because people threw them out after they became valuable. Then all of a sudden it got to a fever pitch. And I'm gonna tell you something. The biggest card show that I used to go to as a kid was in Parsippany, New Jersey on Tuesday nights. I used to drive out there with my father, and it used That's to be awkward. a huge show, right? <laughs> huge show. And Tuesday I'm nights. telling you, listen, there are people who, who have been in this hobby for a long time, they'll know this show. Okay. I'm sure Joe Drellich knows that show. I'm sure any of the Northeast guys know that show. And I'm telling you, when Beanie Babies hit, every card dealer stopped selling cards and the show became a Beanie Baby show. Everyone was going to there. It was like shows got to in 2020 where every table was blasters because everybody had a hookup and a connection at the, the Target and the Walmart and they were buying them from people and calling them ahead of time and then they were selling them for 70 bucks for a blaster at the show. Same thing, but it was bags, dozen bags of Beanie Baby sealed. How many you want? Oh, you want a uh, platypus? I got a dozen here. This is how much this. I'll do. <laughs> All of a sudden, it didn't, the supply started to outweigh the demand. Right, and people didn't realize this fast enough. Just like people buying Top Shot when they're producing sixty thousand of the moments, and they're thinking, "I'm going to buy it, and it's going to go up in value next week," the same way the old ones did. Well, the reason why the old ones went up the way they did was because those weren't being collected the same way these are. Right? Those there's not enough supply for the demand. The new versions, way too much supply. Well, they started giving these things out at McDonald's. They were so mainstream. So what you saw was this cycle where there was this product that there was a, a small amount of supply, humongous amount of demand comes in, more demand than can can you know more more demand than the supply could ever satisfy, which causes a huge price increase for the existing supply. Then you get a a twofold thing that happens, right? You get people who are coming in just to speculate, just like it happened with Top Shot, just like it happened with with ultra modern cards, just like any vintage tool, just like it happened with cards, just like it happened with watches, just like it happened with the real estate market, because people saw a constant increase. You can go in and out and, and flip and the whole deal. And no matter what you buy, go back to when we were doing Top Shot, man. Every day you opened up your Top Shot value of your account was up twenty percent, twenty percent, thirty percent. And you're like, whoa! So everybody buying in. Look at the value, the value. At some point, the supply hits. And somebody can no longer sell it for more the next day. And then there's just an exodus. And all of a sudden, it's an unwinding, right? It's an unwinding of pricing. It's an unwinding of this. And what you have, the biggest lesson that you can learn from Beanie Babies is that the underlying asset was not something that anybody ever really wanted. And that's a problem. Aspect. It's a stuffed animal. Which is great if it's $5 and you're giving it to somebody and here you go, oh, you were a Princess Die fan? Here's Princess Die. It's five, six dollars, not three hundred. So all of a sudden, like the tulips, like some NFTs, once it has finished winding up, 
the wind down is, is a very interesting cycle to watch as two plot. Yeah, shoot, please. So did this go hand in hand with the 1999 uh, tech bubble? So was, there was a lot of money and speculation in general in the system. And so I was in question- law school in 1998 and 1999. And before going to class in the morning, I would wake up and stand outside of toy stores and wait online for their delivery, depending upon what store, what day the delivery was. And they would get in 10 per store, 20 per store. And if you were online early enough, you could get Quackers the Duck yeah. and buy it for $10 and sell it for 200 that day while you were in class. And wait for the uh, wait for the wait for the money the order. Big to man, come in. The big man is home. And I'll, I'll wrap with this. Luca Nation, if you want your question answered, drop it in the comments of this episode. We'll feature three more for next week. By the way, stay tuned. Our uh, Tiger NFT, there are zero, and I mean zero for, listed for sale. Be on the lookout. There's going to be some some announcements of a cigar night coming up for this oh, year. Oh, yeah. Probably more than one. Another grading, wink, wink, nod, nod, and maybe something else. So We got lots of fun stuff coming down. You know, Were that? there influencers with Beanie Babies? Were there people telling others, and where were they telling them which ones to buy? So that is one difference, right? I mean – I started on eBay in 1998. <laughs> oh, gee. You got a lot of eBay bucks, probably. <laughs> 1998 on eBay. And the vast majority of what I did in 1998, 1999 was sell Beanie Babies. But the thing is, the internet was, you know, dial up. There was no social sharing. I don't even think the word influencer existed. Um, but you know what wound up happening towards the end? And this happened with cards before it. Don West, Home Shopping Network. Mm-hmm. You know, Don rest West, rest, rest in peace. Right? They was he was he went from I got forty seven different factory sets. I got the ninety one score set. I got the to ah oh, look at this lot, hundred and one different Beanie Babies. You can't get this in the stores, folks. Look at what we got here, Pinchers. We got Snort the Bull. That's the fit. You know anyone in Chicago? It's a Red Bull. You got to have this. Smoke the Bulls worth like a buck. You know what I mean? So there was that as far as like quote unquote social selling, but it wasn't influencer driven. But it's a very funny, interesting point you make about the, the cycle of money and with the dot com money going up, sort of like crypto money going up this time around with NFTs and cards and, you know, more money in the ecosystem. And yeah, Beanie Baby sort of did crash when the dot-com bubble kind of burst also. So, you know, it's interesting to layer that in. To, to me, I mean, I'm, I'm going to say it's 80%. It's, it's money supply, right? Like the Fed could do two things. They could, I mean, they could really do one thing. They could increase money or supply or, or decrease it. And I think when you raise interest rates, there's less money supply. So there's less speculation. So, you had a bonus question last time. You don't have a bonus question for me. I'm I'm on a, I'm on a roll. I want to get I want your, your Ian's home. I want to give you nah, time. Yeah, he went. He left. All right. You fine. know I you know Real what I quick. found? I found his Mario Kart. He was missing it for two days. I did laundry today and I found it in the dryer. So it was in his pants pocket. I washed Mario it. I dried Kart. it, and it's his still working. Playboy magazine. No, the Mario Kart. You know, for uh, for the Switch, the video. Oh, nice. And it still worked. Thoughts, Thoughts on, on the, the future? future of ultra modern Ult- cards? Okay. What's on the future of ultra modern cards? Um, Let's say 2017 and past is where I go ultra modern. I think anybody who wants to see kind of what ultra modern cards will do would be well served by looking at cards from the late 80s and into like the late 90s, right? Um, 
and see which ones are collectible and which ones are not. Make a comparison between players from that generation because we saw a similar sort of run-up in Ultra Modern here in supply as we did then. And you'll notice, you know, the rarer stuff for the best people, um, you know, are, are the things that hold value. But I will say this, and I'm going to get hatred. You see my story? Because I, I did a little Vince Vaughn action in my story, so take a look at it. It's pretty funny. So I put a couple of my hater clips is what I would call them. And it's like, you know, sell your Jalen Hurts, sell your Aaron Judge, Luca Luca Puka. You know all these things, and then and then it's uh, it's it's a scene from um, from Swingers. Uh, no, I think it's a Get Cool. It was like that Get Shorty. I think it was the second one of them where Vince Vaughn's like, "Hey, hater, stop hating, participate, participate, twinkle, twinkle, star, twinkle, twinkle, become a near star." And it, that's my DMs. It's like, why are you hating? Why are you hating on Jalen Hurts? Why are you hating on Aaron Judge? Why are you hating? But none no, of those people are are yelling at me anymore because it's always right. Ultra modern. It's funny because I don't want to be a hater and I don't want to sound like, oh my God, here comes the death knell. But what I would say the headline for ultra modern cards is, is you have to be aware of the fact that the vast majority of these cards are going to be worth less soon. And I'm talking about like NFT style, 99% of them will be worth less soon. Because a lot of what drives the value of these cards now is the difference between potential energy and kinetic energy. Ultra modern cards are the same thing as stocks that you're putting a, po a forward PE like tech valuation on what the company might do, not what the company has done. It's the difference between Tesla three years ago and Ford. Ford made $8 billion but there wasn't so much that Ford was going to be accomplishing going forward. So people knew what it was. It was vintage. But the Scotty Barnes RPA was that Tesla stock. It was that ultra modern where he's still playing. And you could take a gamble on the potential that he has there. But even if he meets a lot of the potential, I guess the, the, the last chapter of that ultra modern card for him or Evan Mobley or... Josh Allen, I don't want to really be, I want to be like equal opportunity. I'm not even talking about soccer or wrestling here now, guys. But when their career ends, will their career be as good as Drew Brees' quarterback career? Will their career be as good as Dwayne Wade's career? Imagine what people would be paying for Dwayne Wade if his career was now. If it was fifth, 10 years later than what it is. People would be bought, his prices would be three, four, five times more than what they actually are. And look at the career the man had. Right? You couldn't really ask for more than what he did. But the difference between his cards and the current ultra-modern cards are these people are still playing. And because they're still playing, there is an additional demand for their cards because people enjoy buying cards that they can watch their player play on television and say, look what I have. Luca dropped 60. I got that Luca card. It is now something I can flex. It is something I can put in my story. It's something I can post about and possibly something I can resell for profit to someone else who didn't buy Luca before he had that 60-point game. Can't do that with Dwayne Wade. Can't do that with people who aren't playing. Because of that increase in demand, because they're currently playing in ultra-modern sense, there also is an increase in price because of that. But what I've learned in the last couple of years watching people retire, Drew Brees is a great example of it, right? And there are, there are others, right? Peyton Manning is a good one, right? And, I mean, these are guys who are all-time greats. 
But the pay, many pay. refractors that are even a color match, non-rookie, sell for like 100 bucks, 80 bucks in a PSA 10. So think of what they'd sell for if Peyton Manning's career was 15 years later and he'd be playing now. Like they right now, Peyton Manning doesn't outsell, doesn't even outsell you know, Trevor Lawrence or Trey mm-hmm. Lance or any of these It'd guys. Be crazy. So the, the 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 future of ultra modern cards is the vast majority of them are going to be worth less than they're worth now. And that's not saying that the guys you're investing in suck. Several of them are great and they may have great careers, but ultimately the demand for them will go down when they're no longer playing. Guys, how I would, and we'll wrap with this amazing. Thank you guys. If you want to ask your question, ask in the comments. It could be about any topic you want. The world is yours. We do the show for you guys. We hope you appreciate it. There was a card. If you guys want to search on card ladder, search Luca absolute dash out of 10. And the thing with ultra modern is people, I think intuitively understand what you just said. But they still want to have some stake in the game. Yep. Watch the players. So understand that. And if you search the card, Luca Absolute out of 10, it's kind of like the gold version they call 10th anniversary. That card sells once a year. That card just sold on PWCC. I got outbid on it for 2000 bucks, which is basically the same price as a Prism Silver Luca. Just think through. Is that the threads one? Is that the cool, like, maroon one that you used to like? I'll, I'll pull it up. The absolute memorabilia one, you know, the one the, th- the threads one. Oh, not the jersey it. I'm talking about. I'm talking about the one that you used to like. It came like encased, yeah. the absolute one where it's like we had the, the Devontae Grant. That one, yeah. That's that's exactly I love this card. I think this is this is my favorite. I love this card. I think it's a beautiful card, huge rookie stamp. If you look, I mean, this is, says the card ladder value is five thousand. Last sold price was nine K. It just sold on PWCC weekly for two thousand mm-hmm. dollars. But you see, this card sells once every year, maybe. So it's a card that, if you compare it to the silver, this is a card I think your money could be safer in because it's still a rookie. It's numbered. It checks all the boxes, but it's not one that comes up for auction all the time. So lumping ultra modern into one category, there are all of these outliers like that that don't come up very often that are rookie cards. I check a lot of the boxes. I would go that route with it. Of course, here's the nuance. That takes a lot of research. And watching the market before you dip your toe. And I, I believe a lot of people don't want to put in that time. There you go. I like it. I like the play. 